behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. I want to preach tonight from this title, Go Tell That Fox. You can be seated. We live in a time where everybody has something to say. There's a saying that goes, um, it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. But certainly many people do not feel like this applies and is applicable today. With social media, we get to see just about everybody's opinion, don't we? We see the opinion of preachers and politicians. We see the opinions of Ph.D. holders to high school dropouts. We see the opinions of hard workers to those who have a sense of entitlement and, in a you know, the world owes me attitude. I heard one time that the world doesn't owe you anything. It was here first. Um, but we can read and hear the opinions of atheists and agnostics, and we can hear the rhetoric of so-called Christians involved with the hate-filled Westboro Baptist Church. We can hear what everybody has to say. There is no shortage of people with something to say. It turns out that people, I, you, we all have opinions on just about everything, don't we? Um. We found we talk about all kinds of things. We talk about recipes that we found. And we, we post pictures of crafts that we will never do. We talk about our traffic frustrations and our school struggles and how Jonesboro desperately and, and really, really, really does, Lord help us, need a steak and shake. We talk about politics and we talk about religion, we talk about the Confederate flag, rainbow white houses, and the Christian flag being flown above the American flag. And no matter what your political affiliations are, or what your political leanings are, there's one thing that is absolutely certain, everybody has something to say. It doesn't matter how educated or ignorant it might be. Nothing can stop some people from inserting and giving their opinion. It makes, it makes you just want to go to some folks and say, you know, just cancel my subscription. I am tired of your issues. And I come before you tonight as someone who has had it just about up to my ears with people proclaiming that God is dead and that the church is as pointless as a country club or a social gathering. I've, I've had it about up to my ears, even with Christian folks whose only message to the world, it seems, is gloom and doom for Christ's church. That is not biblical, and it is not of God. Jesus himself found himself in a similar situation in the passage that we read. He had been going all about his business, teaching and preaching, and some Pharisees came to him. Now, reading our Bible, we know that Jesus and the Pharisees were not exactly best friends. They did not get along too often. They, they had some, you know, times where they butted heads a little bit. In fact, the Pharisees pretty much tried to get rid of Jesus at every turn. So when these Pharisees come to tell Jesus of a threat, 
from Herod, it's not out of love or respect for him or a value for his ministry. It's really inspired by hatred and a desire to get rid of him as quickly as possible. It's an attempt to get rid of him by appealing to his sense of fear. They come into him and say, Jesus, if you don't get out and depart, Herod will kill you. They say he's going to put a halt to your ministry. Jesus is going to stop the creation of your church. You're going to be a memory that is soon forgotten if you do not leave. But Jesus replies to this with a bit of an attitude. He says, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out devils. I do miracles today and tomorrow. And on the third day I shall be perfected. I must walk today and tomorrow and the day after because it cannot be that a prophet perish outside of Jerusalem. Jesus says, oh, I'm headed on my way, all right, but it's got nothing to do with Herod or the efforts of hell. I've just got a purpose to fulfill. Jesus knew that he was headed to Jerusalem and he was headed toward his death. But he wanted to send Herod a strong message that said, You cannot stop me, and I am not hindered by the attempts of men. My plan and my program is arranged, and there is nothing that can be done to interfere with it. And I wish we would get that same revelation tonight. That this world still has no power over God's church. That greater is He that is in you and me than He that is in the world. The Bible says that on this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I wish we would understand tonight that no matter what is going on in the world, that sin still has no power over grace. The Bible says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. The Bible says it like this. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Sin still has no power over grace. The devil and the world like to talk. Everybody likes to talk. I like to talk. If you know me, I have two volumes, loud and not talking. And, um, and the devil is, is kind of like that. I, I, I guess I'm kind of like the devil. Um, my family and my brother might have been saying that for years. But, but he's always got something to say. They say that God isn't real. They say that we are crazy. They say that we're out of touch. They say that this message is antiquated and it doesn't mean a whole lot. They say that religion is evil and that this church is 
flawed. But tonight you can just put me on record. Go tell that fox that the church surely has its flaws. But yet the church is the greatest institution that God ever created. Jesus testified to its worth by making it the only purchase that He ever had to make. The worth of the church is without compare because Jesus bought it with His own blood, as the Bible says. And when this world and everything is long gone, and when everything that you see around you has passed away, the only thing that is on this planet today that will remain is Christ. Christ's church. The church is the greatest institution this world has ever known. Governments fail. Nations fail. Politics fail. Businesses fail. Even marriages can fail. People can fail. Yet God's church through persecution and through... People trying to dilute doctrine and through all kinds of hell that it has went through has always marched on. Don't tell me that a government ruling or a law can hinder God's plan. Don't tell me that temptation from the devil or trials can deter His purpose. Go tell that fox that apostolic Christianity wasn't produced in a vacuum of social and political support. It was produced in the most hostile environment possible. But what came out of that environment was a world-conquering, self-sacrificing faith that was pure as it was powerful. Go tell that fox that this gospel was preached in the political capital of Rome, of the world in that day. And it was preached in the religious capital of Jerusalem. And it was preached in the intellectual capital of Athens. And it was preached in the immoral capital of Corinth. And if God can build His church in Rome, in Jerusalem, and in Athens, and in Corinth, and even in Babylon, surely He can build His church in Jonesboro, Arkansas. The church is not a whimpering bride. The rapture is not simply a rescue mission for a trapped and mangled church. But it is a marriage celebration of Christ and His triumphant bride. The devil might say that this world is turned toward Him. The devil might say that there is no hope in that Sin abounds, which would be hard to argue that it does not. The devil might tell us that 50% of marriages fail. The devil might point out that, as a recent um, survey and study suggests, that, um, that 42%, 42% of internet users watch pornographic material. He might point out that roughly half of Americans have more debt than they have savings. The devil might say that we can clearly see how this world is turned over to lust and greed and a lack of commitment. And he would tell you that there is no point in trying to be a Christian in this environment. 
But you can go tell that fox that those things just tell me that the fields are white and ready for harvest. Sometimes we ought to celebrate don't, don't misquote me on this, but sometimes we ought to celebrate the immorality and the struggles of our world because that just means that we have something that we can do and something that we can work for. When we see sin around us, we shouldn't just circle the wagons, but we should look around and say, Oh, bless God, there is work to be done and people to be saved and the Holy Ghost to be poured out. There are things that we can do. Go tell that fox. The devil wants us to fix our eyes on the storm that's raging all around and forget about the Savior who is on the ship with us. He'll try to get you to fix your eyes upon your troubles. And he'll try to get you to fix your eyes upon the culture that you live in and the temptation and the sin that might be all around or the pain and the torment in the world today or the social injustice. The devil will try to get you to look at other people and other people in the church to get you discouraged and worried and just been out of shape. But yet, life is, in fact... Very frightening when we only look at the wolves. And life can be very frustrating when we only look at the other sheep like we are. But life is oh so very glorious and oh so very wonderful when we cease to fix our eyes upon those things and fix them firmly upon our great shepherd. And if we will learn to look upon Him and not at the wolves and not at the sheep and just rest in His Word and His promise, our outlook might be a little different. The devil would point to some of the people and the preachers who have left the church to preach and believe another gospel. Yet, God's word is forever settled in heaven. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. His truth is not up for debate and it is not up for re-election or for change. It was given from the very foundation of the world. And when heaven and earth pass away, His words will remain forever settled and stable. And even if no person in the world believes it, Sin will still be wrong, and hell will still be hot. Broad will still be the way that leads to destruction. And not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. That's not Clinton's gospel. That's not the UPC gospel. That's not any denomination's gospel. That's the gospel that Jesus preached and none of that is up for debate it is already settled God paid the price for us on the cross but if we don't want to get left then we ought to make sure that we get right yet no amount of sin hear me tonight yet 
In spite of all that, no amount of sin can separate a repentant and seeking heart from God. Brother Jerry Jones said, even even a lifetime of sin can be overcome by one repentant prayer. I was born in sin and I was shapen in iniquity. But I'm not going to leave this world the same way that I came into it. I'm going to leave a new creation. Why don't we just go tell that fox that the winds of doctrine can blow and they can rage on. But hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is still one Lord. Isaiah 9 and 6 said it like this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name, that child's name, shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 said it like this Beware any man spoil you through philosophy and through vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily God is a spirit, and a spirit hath not flesh and bone. And so that spirit made himself a body so that he could come and pay the price for humanity. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Let the winds of doctrine blow, but go tell that fox that there is still only one God, and His name is Jesus. And He is God all by Himself. He does not need help to heal. He does not need help to save. He does not need help to bring you through your trouble and struggles. He does not need help to comfort any broken heart. He does not need help to fix the social injustice that people have went through. Go tell that fox. That this Jesus has all power in heaven and in earth. Go tell that fox that at the mention of his name, every knee in heaven and in earth and in hell shall bow. Let the winds of doctrine blow. Let the winds of culture blow. Let the winds of hurt and heartache blow. The church will march on. We get caught up in, in the things that we see. And, and don't misunderstand me. When I say we, I really do mean we. I'm like anybody else. I see it. I see some of the stuff that happens. And I think, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, in 20 years, what's it going to be like? For somebody that's trying to preach the word. 
Oh my goodness, what's what's it going to be? But that's how the church was founded. And if the worst case scenario for America and for this world is that we revert back to the same climate and culture as the early church was established in, I'm not all that worried about that. Because in that climate, on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people were saved in one day. If that is the climate and that is the culture that it takes to get you and I a sense of urgency to go evangelize and take this gospel to this world, then Lord, bring it quickly. If it takes an environment of hostility to bring the whole gospel to the whole world, then I don't want to be the one who prays against it. Tell that fox that God's church will march on. I am not here tonight to do anything but Encourage somebody. I'm not here to show what a great speaker I am, which I'm not. Not here to do anything else. But tell somebody to not worry so much. The Bible says it like this that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we got that righteousness part. We teach righteousness as we should. As we should. But sometimes I think we gloss over that peace and that joy part of it. You see so many Christians... You can point your finger at me because I know I've done it. But so many Christians walking around and they never have a smile on their face. Well, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If we want to spread the gospel, if we want to spread something that its name says, it's the good news, we need that joy. We need that peace. And that peace we don't find on the fault lines of our feelings in the world that we live in, but we base that off not of changing circumstances or winds that might blow, but we we base that on the faithfulness of God and His ability to take us through any circumstance that we might find. The world and the culture around us can change. And in the last 20 years, it has changed an awful lot. The devil can make the winds and the storms blow at least for a time. And it would be ignorant to say that in some cases, they are not already blowing and causing all kinds of noise and, and trouble for some people. Yet, God's plan will never change. He is still in the people-saving business. 
He has never got out of the people saving business. And if he tarries a hundred years from now, he will still be in the people saving business. He'll still be in the delivering business. He'll still be in the Prince of Peace business. He'll still be in the broken heart mending business. And when it's all said and done, his church will still be triumphant. After the winds of doctrine stop blowing, after culture stops shifting, after the final law that has ever passed in this world is passed, the church will remain triumphant. That's not Clinton's gospel. That's not the UPC gospel. That's his gospel. After all that's said and done, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So I'm not going to get fed up and worked up over any of this other stuff. Because the church, for years, at its outset, From the outset, the church battled fighting a culture in some places, particularly in places like Corinth, that was full of immorality and full of people who engaged in all kinds of sins, mostly that people in the church today couldn't even imagine. And it was legal. They didn't have, the church didn't have any laws to help regulate that, but they had the Spirit of God. That when it got inside of people, it helped regulate that. And I just wish that tonight we'd rid ourselves of this defeatist attitude and this idea and this mindset that we're barely going to survive. Get on Facebook, get on social, that's my first problem. But you see all that stuff, and you see the news stories, and you think, what are we going to do? The Bible tells us what we're going to do. If we remain in his church, we're going to march on, and it's still going to be the church triumphant. Do we remember when God first touched us? And we repented. Do we remember that moment or that time? If we've experienced that. Where we were baptized in his name. Do we remember that, that the very moment. That we first received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. With the evidence of speaking in another tongue. And in that moment. If, if you can remember it at all. Did any of this other stuff matter in the least bit. In that moment, were you worried about culture or were you worried about this other stuff or were you really worried at all? In that moment, weren't your eyes, at least in that moment, just fixed on Jesus? You weren't looking at the wolves and you weren't looking at anybody else, the other sheep. You were just looking at your shepherd. And there is peace that is found when we learn to look at our shepherd. There's a song that was written, and we can stand together. I'm, I'm done. We sing it here sometimes. Brother O'Connell sings it. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look on his wonderful face. 
and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. There's a verse that says it like this, His word shall not fail you, He promised. Believe Him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, His perfect salvation to tell. When we fix our eyes upon Him, there is no pursuit in this world that is not ordained by God that does not dim just a little bit. When we fix our eyes upon Him, there is no problem in our life that seems quite as big as it was a moment ago. When we fix our eyes upon Him, there is no problem that we have with each other that seems so important. When we fix our eyes upon Him, everything just seems a little better. Because the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He wants you. I'm not trying to... Don't misunderstand. And I hope you understand this. I'm not trying to be Joel Osteen up here for you tonight. But he really does want you to have peace. And he really does want you to have joy. And he really does want you to be content with your lot in life, no matter what that might bring. That's not, that's not somebody just telling you what you want to hear. That's Bible. And if we have the Holy Ghost like we say that we do, then when we walk out of this church tonight, we ought to walk with peace, knowing that in the midst of our storm, our Savior is on our ship. I wonder if we can, if we can lift our hands or, or bow our head for a moment, and, and we can just go to God for a moment. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your spirit that you put in us. We know that... that the culture that we live in is going all kinds of ways and, and we don't know where it's going to end up in 20 years and we don't know how it's all going to work out and everything's going to be. But we know that if we put our trust in you, everything will work out as it should. Lord, we need your peace. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you tonight. We need your joy active in our life. We need your peace active in our life in a troubled world. We need a church that knows on whose hope it is anchored in a troubled time. We need a church that understands that its purpose is not simply to cower, but its purpose is to march on and spread the good news and be triumphant. We need to understand that as we go forth, we don't have to go forth sad, and we don't have to go forth sorrowful, but we can go forth with a joy in our heart and in our soul, knowing that you are our shepherd, and you keep us. Dear Lord, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for how you're going to deliver. Thank you for how you're going to set people free. Thank you for how you're going to pour your spirit out. Thank you for how you're going to keep your church. We love you, Jesus. We magnify you.
keys that sweep. We worship.